0: Hello and welcome to Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a comedy podcast where me and my brother John answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. Hey John, how are you this week? Uh, I'm alright. I just came from uh,
1: my two-year-old daughter Alice's uh, a parent-teacher conference, analyzing uh, her progress in school thus far. Mm, mm-hmm. She's, you know, she's just turned two. Um... So it's a it's a little early to declare victory, but there was widespread agreement that she is a genius. <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: great news although uh, though also probably possibly troubling. like you a genius can come up with it with its own uh, with its own troubles,
1: sure, but she's the smiley kind of genius. she's she's pleasant, she's social. Uh, she knows essentially every word. Um, No, I couldn't be... I I couldn't be prouder of Alice. I have to tell you, there is nothing more surreal than being in a parent-teacher conference for a two-year-old child. Um, Because, of course, uh, there is very little to say. (laughs) 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 she eats with both her hands that's the level of like that's the level of analysis that we can get into that's not Um, but otherwise things are okay here in Indianapolis I'm uh, still uh uh struggling a bit to find a new medication regimen that will work for me with my uh my mental health disorders but uh otherwise I'm well the family as well um yeah, Sarah is in uh, Washington DC right now for the art assignment so I get uh to be with the kids 24 hours a day, which is uh you know, it's a thing. It's 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 mostly fun and really really rewarding. I'm lucky that I like being a dad. How are you, Hank?
0: I'm good. We just had our VidCon uh like like big planning meeting with all of the VidCon staff, so Uh, that, that ended literally moments before we started recording this podcast, which is why I was a little late, uh, and John has been waiting for me. Sorry, John.
1: And I assume the summary is that VidCon will be great next year, and that everyone should get their tickets now at VidCon.com.
0: VidCon will indeed be great next year, and everyone should indeed go get their tickets at VidCon.com, now available at VidCon.com.
1: Speaking of which, Hank, it's not just, uh... It's not just the time of year when VidCon tickets become available. It's that magic time of year that in Vlogbrothers world we call Pizzamas. Um, uh, it, it is currently Pizzamas. A two-week period in which you and I make videos back and forth every day, and also uh, there are Pizza John items available at DFTBA.com uh, that you can pre-order, but only only during Pizzamas. So um, if you would like a Pizza John shirt, if you don't know what a Pizza John shirt is, don't worry. You're in a, a huge majority of Americans um, <laughs> and other people. But uh, if you would like a Pizza John shirt or a Leaning Tower, of Pizza John shirt or, or any number of other Pizza John items Including Pizza John shoelaces You can check that out at DFTBA.com Hank, today I don't think we need to do the sponsoring Thing because I think we've just actually Had
0: a sponsored podcast do, What? When? How? What? Oh, yes, yes By uh, by VidCon and by Pizzamas
1: Yes Do you have a short poem for us? I do, it's called Poetry It's a special poem just for you, Hank, by Marianne Moore Again, the title is Poetry You must bear in mind the title, Poetry As I read you the poem I too dislike it. Reading it, however, with a perfect contempt for it, one discovers in it, after all, a place for the genuine. Poetry by Marianne hmm. Moore, published uh, in the complete poems of Marianne Moore, 1967.
0: Where do you think cynicism comes from, John? Well, uh, the word comes from the ancient Greeks. <laughs> <laughs>
1: where, where, where do I think the idea of cynicism comes from? I mean, I, I, I think it comes from I think it comes from suspicion. I think that we are, we are born uh, rightly suspicious of, of one another and of the universe, suspicious that perhaps the universe is not overwhelmingly interested in what happens to us. All right, let's do a question. That was my question, and John answered it. <laughs> God, this is such a great pom- comedy podcast. I just, is, you know, I, I listen to comedy podcasts all the time, and what I always find myself thinking is, well, this one's actually funny. <laughs> And that's, that's their the big—that's big, their big structural yeah. advantage over well, us. Well, you Hank. know,
0: John, uh, it sometimes it's okay to be structurally at a disadvantage, and I'm fine with that. You know, I, I think uh, we, we've put ourselves in a place where we are incapable of success in this particular genre and that's all right growing outside of our our current growth seems unnecessary to me i want this to be super indie i want it to be an indie underground comedy podcast that isn't funny <laughs> it's like when and that's the the only way to do it is just to not, not be funny ever yeah that's the, the the
1: most indie comedy is the comedy that doesn't even try to be at all funny um, one of my favorite comedy performances of all time was uh, andy kaufman Reading the entirety of The Great Gatsby.
0: Yeah, we're just we're not as good at, as Andy Kaufman uh, no. at this, but but we can endeavor to try and just to inst- to list our podcast as comedy and then talk about existential difficulties and and the origins of cynicism and boom, boom like you know a tenth of the way to Andy Kaufman. I'd say like uh, maybe a thousandth, but let's answer a question from a listener. Okay, this one is from Aaron, who says, "Dear Hank and John." As a proper adult, I think I would love some dubious advice. So I've been to university and come out the other side, and one thing I now know is how much I still don't know. Uh, My study has always been focused on one area, art and curatorship and education, but I want to start learning about other areas of life, and I don't know where to get started. Where do you start learning about science and poetry and language and maths as an adult, especially if those subjects are your worst at school? Well,
1: that's sort of the life story of my uh, education. I think most of it happened after college, um, or at least outside of my two areas of study, English literature and religion. because. I paid so little attention to school when I was in it. Um, It was rather wasted on me, unfortunately. So for me, like the best way in uh, was books. I don't think that's true for everyone. I think there's great like YouTube channels now. I think you could follow. Uh, Hopefully Crash Course could be helpful, but also there's things like Minute Physics and uh, and lots of other channels. But for me it was books um and there are lots and lots and lots of books that seek to introduce you to physics or to biology or to chemistry and um they can be uh somewhat tough going at first but um I don't know that's that that was my way in Hank how about you
0: I agree and I the, yes what the difficulty is always that sometimes you will read something and you will be like well that is clearly above my pay grade and uh, and so, can we take a few steps back? Finding the things that are really uh, written for the layperson uh, to, to sort of create the structure on which you can you can build your knowledge of a topic is always the hard part. Um, I I tend to actually end up doing that on Wikipedia a lot, and I will, like I will just get interested in a topic and I will read the Wikipedia page. And the nice thing about Wikipedia is that like at any moment you can click on the thing that you don't understand and you don't even have to type it into the search bar and you're reading the article, you're like, okay, now I have to get, I don't quite get this, but there's this thing is clearly the part of, of this that I don't understand. And so I need to understand that part. Um, I also think that it is really valuable to look at what you do understand and use that as, as like a structure on which to build into other areas. And so sort of like a, uh, you know, a mold spreading across a piece of bread as it were, so that you can, you can take over the whole piece of bread, but you start from where you're at. You know, you start from where you already have a deep understanding where you've penetrated the bread and are extracting nutrients from the bread and, and you understand that deeply and then you move into other areas more on the surface and then go deeper until you've consumed the entire piece of bread and made it inedible to man.
1: Yeah. I don't know if you're not allowed to eat mold. I think you can eat mold. I think it just might make you sick. (laughs) Um, yeah. So, if you, for instance, if you've studied, you know, art and curatorship, you might have studied uh, something involving, you know, perspective in Renaissance painting or whatever. And that can be a way into uh, big, interesting questions in geometry. Like an example of this for me is that I read um, a David Foster Wallace book, um, Everything and More, because I really like David Foster Wallace. But the book was about uh, infinity and how some infinite sets are larger than other infinite sets. Uh, which is an important part of my novel, The Fault in Our Stars. And even though a lot of the math in um, the book was over my head, and in the end, it turned out some of the math was in fact wrong, uh, I was really, really fascinated uh, by the way that David Foster Wallace could link things that I already knew about in literature or in folklore to things that I didn't know about in, for instance, Mm -hmm. calculus and set theory.
0: Yeah. And I I find the more that you know about something, uh, if you start small, the more that you know, the more you want to know, and the more interesting it all gets at every level.
1: Okay, Hank, we have a question from Louisa. This is a vitally important one and and very time-sensitive. Dear John and Hank, I need to have my wisdom teeth removed in the near future. Do you have any tips on how to prepare for and recover from oral
0: surgery? Well, do not forget to have a person, the the person who's picking you up and taking you home, because of course you cannot drive home, to have their cell phone ready to film you So that you can have that for the archives. Don't necessarily upload it onto YouTube, but it is a nice thing to show around at dinner parties because there's nothing like being completely, completely trashed on oral surgery medication.
1: That is the number one thing you have to remember is to videotape the immediate aftermath of you waking up it's vitally important there are some other things you know making sure that you don't get a uh, an infection that kills you etc but videotaping the moments after you wake up from Mm -hmm. oral surgery absolutely vital so you've come to the right place Louise as you can already tell from Hank's excellent (laughs) advice because I've had 11 oral surgeries so I am an expert in in preparing for and recovering from oral surgery um the first thing that I would say is that Getting your wisdom teeth taken out, as oral surgeries go, not that big of a deal. Um I, I I wouldn't worry about it too much unless you've got some serious impaction or something. Um basically you're gonna wanna take the pain medication as soon as you're supposed to, so you can stay ahead of the pain. And you probably won't need it for more than a day or two. You're gonna eat some grits and some milkshakes. Don't suck through a straw. Listen to your doctor <laughs> and just change out the uh, the bloody gauze now and again, and you're gonna be fine. It's nothing compared to what I've had.
0: I I had a I had a moment where I after my wisdom teeth got taken out, where there was some food stuck in the hole. Yeah. Don't, don't try, do your best not to have that happen. Uh, so say, stay off the solid foods for as long as they tell you to, and use that little that little injecty thing. Fill it up with with room with body temperature water, yeah. and uh, and and make sure you clean out your your bloody holes. Uh, yeah, just remember to mouth. clean out your bloody holes, Louisa, and you'll be just fine. Um, and uh, and also, I will say, make sure that you have the person who's filming you be a person you can trust.
1: Yep. Yeah, because you don't want them uploading that to YouTube without your permission. Uh, so, Hank, when I had my wisdom teeth taken out, my when I woke up, my oral surgeon said, um, are you a religious man? And I said, yeah, you know, somewhat. And he said, I ask because when I gave you the sedation, you crossed yourself once, which seemed pretty normal. But then you continued to cross yourself for three or four minutes until finally a nurse just had to hold your hand down. <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow. Because he couldn't
1: get into my mouth because I was too busy crossing. Oh, man, myself. the power
0: of Christ compels you. <laughs> yeah, you like you were unconscious. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. But I really, really, really wanted to make sure as I was going down that I was uh, well settled with the Lord.
0: Um, I, uh, I, I, after my oral, or after my wisdom teeth came out, well, uh, read, watched the entire Godfather trilogy, which yeah. is still a still a trilogy that I have not seen as far as I'm concerned, because I Mm. remember nothing
1: of it. Well, I can summarize it for you. The first two movies are arguably the two best films ever made. The third movie is maybe the worst movie of all time. Yeah, well, that
0: is disappointing. So just watch the first two. All right, John, we've got another question. This one is from Udi, who asks, Dear Hank and John... Every homeroom in school, someone from my homeroom is responsible for bringing in food because lunch is often a lot later in the day. Uh, we Somebody brought in a bag of potato chips recently, and I ate a lot of them. And while I was eating them, one of my friends criticized me for my eating style, saying that I should eat potato chips with only two fingers instead of three so that the potato chip dust concentrates more on two fingers and it is easier and more fun to lick it off. I refuted this. No, 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 no. 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 What's wrong? Oh, God. First off,
1: oh, my God, your dinner is burning. We're, like, halfway through the podcast. I
0: completely forgot. Well, we're way... uh, This is a different podcast. That was last podcast. This person has already set up their cell phone to scream for us. I know, but somebody's dinner
1: could still be burning, Hank. But we have to stop this question right now. You do not ever lick your
0: fingers, period, ever, no, no. John and I are going to disagree on this one. I'm licking my finger right now. Oh, God. There it is. We're doing it. Uh-huh. Oh, uh-huh. God. My finger. Uh-huh. Oh, God. Are you Are you currently in the shower? Because <laughs> that is the only <laughs> time
1: when it's remotely acceptable. Have you just <laughs> applied Purell? You do not, unless you are absolutely certain that your hands are quite clean and... You do not lick your fingers. Hey, can I tell you the thing that bothers me most about the National Football League, um, which is a, uh, a sport here in the United States uh, in which uh, large men uh, uh, play uh, with, a, with a ball that mostly with their hands. Anyway, what bothers me most is there's this position called the quarterback, and, and every single NFL quarterback, immediately before the hiking of the ball, they lick their fingers. All of them. It's the most horrifying thing because these are men who are sweating, they're touching other people's sweat and blood and God only knows what else, and then they lick their fingers before every single play. It's a miracle that all of them don't have norovirus every week. I'm sorry to feel so passionately about this, but I just think we need to stop this question right now and and, and just say it is not okay to lick the potato chip dust off your fingers.
0: I think that one of the principal joys in life is being able to, to ingest bacteria and not die. And that's something that we do constantly, every day. If you eat food, lick your lips, touch things. Uh, if you're, you know, you went in the White River and and drank literally thousands of people's feces, John. It's okay. Hopefully, just hundreds. But ho- at least hundreds, probably thousands. It's it's yep. all right. It is okay to. It is okay that we, you know, have. This relationship, and we have an immune system, and it functions very well, and if you do not have an immune system problem, you can lick the potato chip dust off of your fingers. And John, you're going to argue against me, and that's okay. We're gonna agree to disagree on this one, and I'm gonna continue to like you as a person. I think that that might be the most dubious advice that you have ever offered in the
1: entire
0: history of this dubious advice podcast. People have been licking their fingers since the beginning of time. It's literally a cliche. Finger licking good. It has in the three-word cliche the description of what finger licking is and the word good.
1: It's not bad. Do you know what all of those people from the very beginning of time who licked their fingers have in common? They Hank? died
0: of various diseases that were not caused by
1: finger licking. They're dead. That's right. You were you were on the right track, but they're all dead. Every single one of them. They're finger-licking dead. <laughs> let's let's move on uh Udi respectfully just just don't just don't
0: it doesn't matter if you're licking two fingers or three fingers just don't lick the fingers you know okay uh we're we're I I agree that it doesn't matter which fingers fingers you're licking John and I can agree on that point. But Uri has a second part of the question, which was, how can we agree on important things like who should be the next president or if Darth Vader was ultimately good when we can't even agree on how many fingers we should eat potato chips with?
1: Oh, I see. So the underlying question is, like, given how difficult it is to come to a consensus on very basic things like whether we should lick our fingers to death, (laughs) um... (laughs) Should we? How are we ever going to come to consensus on more complicated topics? The answer to that question, I think, is with a very large uh, data sample, like with a very large. It, it, uh, In a very large conversation that is inclusive. So I think that... So the wisdom of the crowds. Yeah, I think that we govern better and we live better um, when we learn together and listen to each other and include as many voices as possible in these big conversations about what we should do and why. And I think, by the way, that if we included every possible voice there would be widespread agreement that you shouldn't lick your fingers after eating potato chips but let's move on
0: or we could just compromise average it out and say that you should be eating with one and a half fingers (laughs) (laughs) and that is almost precisely
1: the argument that the united states congress people make against compromise
0: (laughs) Um, (laughs) what are we gonna cut everybody's fingers off just, to, we're only, everybody's only going to have one and a half fingers at the end of this conversation. I threw my pen. I was angry. <laughs> yes, it's not a sound argument, but it is one that I often hear uh,
1: from Congress people. Let's move on to another question, Hank. This one's from Alex. He writes, Dear John and Hank, this is a pressing question that has been haunting me for the last few days. Oh, oh, for days. I was expecting years. Days. Um, why are bananas hexagons? Well, I would argue that bananas themselves are not hexagons; that they're rather um, circular. But the, the peel yes. is rather hexagonical, hexagonical, hexagonal
0: <laughs> Professor McGonagall, <laughs> uh, hexagonal. Oh, uh, and and yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't like. I want a banana in front of me right now because I am not sure that bananas are hexagonal, or that they certainly. I am not sure that they would be universally hexagonal. I mean. There are lots of hexagons in nature, though. Uh, it is a very strong uh, shape. It is a shape that uh, it, it it is good at having a a large surface area to volume ratio. Um, why
1: but- is it? Oh, oh, that's why. So if something is like a shape that appears a lot in nature, it's often because it's a. St- a strong shape explain that to me well
0: i mean like for example if a bee wants to build a honeycomb the they want that thing to be structurally sound sure and uh and 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 uh, you know like grids of hexagons uh, just are really good at uh at, at stress load so they like they have lots of different little points where the where the stress get like if you compress them it it's like there's no one point that has a ton of stress on it it shares the load between a lot of different points Mm. Um, and that, but like, yeah, the, the, Mm. the, uh, the reappearance of certain shapes over and over again in nature is very interesting and very weird and that it follows, you know, mathematical patterns that we established before we found them in nature is very interesting and, uh, and is sort of above my pay grade. Isn't that what John Nash wrote his uh, Nobel Prize winning uh, paper on?
1: I do not think so. Okay, well, what What? What? what do I know? Um, <laughs> so, Hank, let me ask you a question. This may be a stupid question, but uh, if a hexagon is good, does that mean that an octagon is better and it's just that, like, bees aren't smart enough to have figured that
0: out? Well, uh, first, it would not be bees... It would be just sort of the process of evolution oh. that uh, that quote unquote figured that out—just trial and error, and and what worked, and sticking with what works. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't think that an octagon would be better. There might be a shape that would be better, but hexagons are really good at stress load and at uh, at like the amount of material you have to use per uh, per per thing in nature. So it lets you use less stuff to have more. All right.
1: So basically, we're going to have to get a real expert in industrial engineering on this podcast to answer that question.
0: The important thing that I have to say here is I don't know. And I think that it's important that I say that more often.
1: (laughs) Okay, good. I will look forward to finding out about that next week. In the meantime, we need to answer a couple more questions from our listeners before we get to the amazing news from AFC Wimbledon, and also the news from Mars, which is a cold, dead rock in the middle of space.
0: I do have another question. It's from Monica, who asks, Dear Hank and John, for my senior year of high school, I decided to take AP government class. So far, I've very much enjoyed the class and discussions that we have. I took the class because I feel that as an American, it's important to understand our government and politics. I'm very interested in voting in the upcoming presidential election. I know both of you feel strongly about voting, so I was hoping you could explain the process that I will have to go through in order to vote, including everything leading up to voting and the actual action of voting itself. Thank you. So,
1: Monica, you get to something important about voting, which is that it's stressful um, and it's a little bit... Uh, overwhelming and it feels uh, complicated and often it is a little bit complicated especially in the United States perhaps arguably much more complicated than it needs to be because there are forces in the world that would like a, a person that is as young as yourself not to vote uh yeah and those forces are at times very powerful. So it depends on where you live. Uh, in some places, you can register to vote uh, on the day that you vote. In some places, you can vote early. And and so you have to look up the, the rules in your particular state. Uh, but in most places, you have to register to vote. You can do that um, at a DMV or at a, at a library. Um, I like to do it at the library because then you get to get books as well. So it's kind of a double win. And... Um, or you could do it at a post office. There's lots of places you can register to vote. You can also do it through the mail, I think. Um, it depends on where you are, though.
0: Yeah. Also, the nice thing about all of this is that we now live in a world where you can type in uh, the name of your state and register to vote. And oftentimes, you can just do it on the internet. So there, That's true. Yes. There's always the internet. I keep forgetting and about you, the internet. Yeah, maybe, it's, because, a great it's because when we registered to vote, you literally couldn't... You, like in order to figure out how to register to vote, like, I only did it because there was, like, a table at my college that was, like, register to vote. And I was like, yeah, uh, yeah, I'll do that. Um, And that's kind of crazy that you... It used to be so hard, and now it's quite easy. And even if you can't do it on the internet, it will tell you how to do it yeah. and give you a number of options for how to register to vote if you've never registered. And there's nothing bad about registering to vote. People will say that, oh, now you're going to get jury duty. No, you will get jury duty whether or not you register to vote. It's not like you're registering for for jury duty. You That is a completely different list of names. And... Uh, Uh, And then as far as the process goes, I am now at the point in my life, and luckily Montana has really good laws with regards to this, that I don't go to the polls anymore. Now, I think that one person, like every person should do that uh, at least once in their life, like go do the thing. But now I just absentee vote even though I'm not absentee, and and that is – there's a word for that that – escapes me at the moment but it's just early voting er, er, early voting they just send you an envelope in the mail you sign up for them to send you the envelope you do it you fill it out there's a little thing to sign on the thing make sure i did this and not some person who lives in my house and then you sign on the outside of the envelope and you follow all the instructions and it's you get time to think about it and you know if you don't know what one of the ballot initiatives is you can look it up on the internet it whole process if you do a lot of research takes like an hour uh and and like to Like, that's obviously not going to be what you do if you go to the poll and you, like, have to, like, look at the ballot, what it's going to be before you do it and do all that research beforehand. So early voting is really nice if your state allows it. And I I suggest that, uh, you know, going to the polls is a unique experience and and one that I'm glad that I have done. But early voting is uh, super easy and not stressful at all.
1: Yeah, so I find going to the polls a little bit stressful because you have to stand in line and stuff. But you can bring a uh, sample ballot with you. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, that's what I do every year. I bring a sample ballot with me, uh, that, that I print out from the internet and, uh, I have filled out my sample ballot already, uh, in advance. So I know the answer to all of the questions, (laughs) um, about who I'm going to vote for before I get to the voting booth. Now I will say that I made a mistake in uh, my first presidential vote, which was embarrassingly late in my life, uh, it was in uh, 2004. I made a mistake and I just raised my hand and said, I have made a mistake. I have voted for the wrong person for president. <laughs> and someone came and they spoiled my ballot. Um, and, uh, they, uh, allowed me, you know, and then, and then you get to vote again. It, it was a little bit embarrassing, but I learned that it's in fact very easy and not a big deal. In general, all of these things are stressful because they are unknowns, um, but they are not difficult and there are people there at every step of the way who want you to vote. And the most important thing I would say is this is the way we have in the United States of your voice being heard um it, it is not A perfect way and I think right now uh, the political system in the United States is not perfect it's not particularly high functioning but like this is the way so it is vitally important that you do it and not just I would argue on the presidential side of things but also way down the ballot I mean who are you going to vote for for comptroller uh, turns (laughs) out to be a very important and interesting question and so take a little time uh, to do your research to learn about the candidates to learn about their positions um, and to learn about the Parties that they represent and um, and vote not just for president but all the way uh, down the ballot.
0: And an interesting thing has has happened in America because of both gerrymandering and because people who are more liberal tend to think more nationally, and people who are more conservative tend to think more locally. That we have, uh, you know, we we are entering an era where we may end up having a lot of Democratic presidents and a lot like a vast majority of republicans in local government and that becomes a difficult country to manage it it becomes like it 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 starts to feel like there are two different forces running the country and that that tension between local government and, and national government becomes that much more intense and that tension is always going to exist and is kind of meant to exist but Event like I worry a great deal that uh, you know a lot of people don't think at all about their local politics, especially if they like me live on the internet, and that we end up in a world where uh, where where no government gets done because all government uh, because state and local government have are are continually at odds with each other. Yeah,
1: that's an interesting observation. I am less. Uh I am less convinced that there is a sort of national democratic majority than a lot of uh, a lot of people are. Um, Obviously, we'll see in this presidential election cycle. But um, I do think that I do think that there is a disconnect for people who live on the Internet, that they don't think about local politics the same way um, that other people do. And we need to. um, We need to think more about local politics. I think that is a huge issue. Um, I, I also share your concern, Hank, as you know, I'm a massive fan of stability. Um, I think stability is the most mm-hmm. underrated political resource. Um, and, uh, that's easy for me to say being in, uh, a, a stable, um, position of power, but, um, but I really do, I think like government that works is extremely important. Uh, it's, it's more important in the end, um, than like, uh, f- like for instance like government that works is more important to me than the question of whether we should have lots of uh, government regulations or not that many like having a highway bill every year which we had for you know 55 years until uh, this sort of gridlock descended upon our federal government um, having a highway bill every year is really really important more important in the end than the highway bill being perfect mm-hmm. uh, and I worry that we have uh, moved away from government that works uh, toward government that seeks to be perfect or ideologically rigid. And in that process, we have uh, lost a big part of kind of the United States's competitive advantage of always being a place where uh, we fix our bridges. (laughs) At the very least. I'll tell you what, man, being a country that has good bridges is incredibly underrated. I have been to a lot of countries that don't have good bridges, and uh, it really slows down uh, commerce and also everything else. It makes everything harder. So
0: here's to good bridges. This uh, episode of Dear and John brought to you by good bridges. Uh, They are underrated and lovely and, you know, functional, practical, sometimes gray concrete, but man... Uh, do we use them all the time, not only when we drive over them, but also when we buy food at the store?
1: And today's episode of Dear Hank and John is also brought to you by Pizza Miss. Pizza Miss, <laughs> going on now
0: at DFTBA.com. Today's episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by potato chip dust. That stuff that is somehow perfectly evenly distributed over every single potato chip that makes it taste just the right amount of salt and just the right amount of vinegar.
1: And of course, today's episode of Dear Hank and John is, as always, brought to you by death. Death, (laughs) the certain consequence of licking your
0: fingers. (laughs) This episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by ZocDoc. Look. There are, I think it's fair to say, some imperfections in the American healthcare system. But there are ways that it actually has recently gotten easier. I don't compromise on a lot of things, but I do not love feeling like I can't find the right doctor for me. And I've gotten very lucky that I have found some good doctors for me. When it comes to your health, there shouldn't be compromise. Don't go back to that one doctor who uses your appointment to catch up on the latest headlines slash their family group chat slash their crossword puzzles just because they're available right now or they happen to take your insurance. Instead, like you don't have to keep going back to a doctor who you don't like. You can check out ZocDoc, a place where you can find and book doctors who make you feel comfortable, who listen to you, who prioritize your health. And these doctors all have verified reviews from actual, real patients. Booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated, patient-reviewed, credible doctors and specialists. The typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between 24 and 72 hours. That's it. You can even sometimes score same-day appointments. Go to ZocDoc.com slash DearHank and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then you can book a top-rated doctor today. That's zocdoccom DearHank. ZocDoc.com slash DearHank. Every time I know it's coming, and I'm like, I'm going to have to say ZocDoc.com right now, aren't I? And then I do. I'm getting good at it, everybody. (laughs) ZocDoc.com. All
1: right, Hank, one last question. This one's from Dale. He writes, Dear John and Hank, December 21st is when my son will be born into this world, and I'm really excited and cannot wait to see him and hold him, but how do I know I'm going to be a good dad? I mean, I think I will be. So my question is, how do you know how to be a good dad? Now you might think that this question's more for me than for Hank but we it as it happens we both have a good dad a really good dad um and so perhaps we can uh, draw on some of our experience of having had a good dad in answering this question but as far as my own experience um being a father goes um I would say uh the main thing um that I try to do and I don't know if this is right or wrong or what. I don't really believe anybody when they give parenting advice. But the main thing that I try to do is, is to love my kids um, and, and to help them know that they are safe uh when they're an infant um you know that's relatively easy it just means holding them it means comforting them when they cry showing superhuman patience when they wake up at 3 30 in the morning and won't stop crying and when i lose that patience walking away rather than like you know screaming at them um but then as they get older i think it's this you know for me at least so far it's the same it's the same thing just with a slightly more complicated uh organism that i'm parenting but uh i think You know, it's interesting to think about our dad, Hank, because I think that both of our parents were uncommonly or or still are uncommonly good parents.
0: Yeah, I I what I felt like was that my dad tried to help figure out who I was and help me figure out who I was. And that meant uh, when I showed an interest in something supporting that. And when I, you know, like when I adopted identities being supportive of them and 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 being enthusiastic about those things himself, and wanting to be a part of the things that I was a part of, and now of course eventually that felt like it was overbearing, and I was like, "Ah, your Dad, you're trying to always get all my stuff and too supportive. Stop being so dang supportive, Dad." But um, but for the most part, I really do help it. I really do feel like it helped me figure out who I was and become. Become me and become comfortable in me, and that was really important.
1: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think both of our parents um, have have been that for us. They 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 always wanted us to live our dreams. They never wanted us to live their dreams, and they um they were always you know very supportive in us figuring out our dreams. And even when our dreams were not typical or um maybe easy uh easy dreams, they were always very supportive of them. Uh, one thing I. One thing your comment reminded me of, Hank, is uh, when I was going through a very rebellious phase when I was in ninth grade. I uh, I bought the Nine Inch Nails album, Pretty Hate Machine. Oh yeah, uh, a great album. And um, but it has a lot of explicit lyrics in it and everything. And my dad uh, was like, uh, "Do you mind if I listen to that?" And I was <laughs> like, "No, it's fine, man. Yeah, but you're not gonna you're not gonna like it. It's really it's really hardcore." Um, and My dad listened to the album and infuriatingly he came into my room and I remember he said, this is so good, I'm going to have to get my own copy. (laughs) It was the most effective way to completely like defang all of my like, uh, you know, teenage rebellious rage for him to be like, you know, some of the lyrics are a little bit provocative, but I really enjoy the music.
0: Yeah, I mean, it is a really good album. I inherited that from you, I, th- I think. Either that or I ended up with Dad's.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't think Dad really liked it. I think he was just proving a point. <laughs> um, all right, let's move on to the news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon.
0: Hank, what is the news from Mars this week? Hey, John, have you ever felt like, boy, I want somebody to put me on top of the largest bomb ever and uh and and shoot me into outer space well nasa is looking for its next round of astronauts there uh, have officially op- they will be officially opening up applications to become an astronaut the qualifications are surprisingly accessible you only need to have a bs in a science related degree and it helps if you have some experience flying planes but not completely necessary. Uh, And also you will have to pass their physical because uh, being an astronaut is a physical activity. They will accept uh, between eight and 12 astronauts for this round, and those people might be the people who end up being the astronauts who go to Mars on the very first manned Mars missions, which would be pretty exciting, which are planned for the 2030s. But, you know... That's uh, just a plan. Hank, uh, are you going to apply? No, definitely not. I would not pass the physical. Um, probably, I probably couldn't just because of my colitis. And, uh, also I get seasick really easily. And also I am afraid of death.
1: Yeah. I'm also not going to apply. Um, I don't think that I would make it very far in the application process um, <laughs> when they were like, uh, how do you feel about living with six people for a year? Are you a pretty uh, emotionally stable person? I would be like, oh, I'm out.
0: Yeah. Nope. Nope. Definitely not. We do have, John, a friend who is applying. Wow. That's exciting. Yeah. Uh, Destin from Smarter Every Day. He, he is. Well, and he would be a great astronaut, actually. Yeah. He, he would, oh, and wow. he's, would he's working awesome. hard toward that goal. He wants to make it happen. That that would
1: be so, so cool. To, to know an astronaut would almost be better than being an astronaut.
0: Uh, it definitely would be better than being an astronaut, though at the same time, I that would make me extremely nervous. Just, yeah. I mean, less, less nervous than doing it myself, but very nervous.
1: Yeah, agreed. I love, I love Destin very much, and I also love his family. Uh, can I tell you the news from AFC Wimbledon,
0: Hank? Yeah, go ahead and
1: do that. It's darkness. It's pure oh, darkness. Oh, no!
0: I thought you said yeah. it was exciting.
1: Yeah. no. No. No, I was lying. I was trying to get people to make it to the end of the podcast. The truth is darkness. Oh, no. Uh, As you know, Hank, last year, AFC Wimbledon advanced to the third round of the FA Cup where they played Liverpool Football Club, the team I've supported since I was a kid. Uh, It was an amazing night. I I flew to uh, London to go to the game, and it was just a wonderful thing. This year, that won't be happening because uh, AFC Wimbledon lost in the first round of the FA Cup uh, to a team from the league below them. Called Forest Green, which is not even a football team; it's a color.
0: Oh no! I know. Oh man! They lost
1: to a color, Hank. They lost two to one. Entirely, in my opinion, because uh, noted Montserratian international Lyle Taylor did not score a goal for the first time in several outings. So, uh, you know, in some ways, it's bad news. I mean, in in fact, in almost every way, it's bad news. But I, I try to find the silver lining, and this is it, this is it. This means that we can focus all of our energy on winning League Two, on advancing up to League One. So now we don't have any distractions. We don't have any other competitions. The focus is all on the league games. Uh, This weekend, uh, for me, the past, for people who are listening to this, uh, AFC Wimbledon play probably the biggest team in League Two, uh, Portsmouth, which has a— like a 20,000-seat stadium, tens of thousands of people go to their games every week. It's really exciting to be able to play a club like Portsmouth. So that should be a great outing for AFC Wimbledon supporters. Hopefully, um, we'll get a win. They're very near the top of the table. So if we can beat a club like Portsmouth, uh, I am going to start to think about thinking about thinking about (laughs) thinking about dreaming. So um, I I will be only five removes from properly dreaming about going up to League One. So uh, that is the news from AFC Wimbledon. Well, I'm
0: sorry to hear that, I guess.
1: Yes, well... Life is full of disappointments, large and small, and you just have to adjust to them and move
0: on. All right. Uh, but is that does that count against your points to lose to a, a, ga- a, a team so bad? No, because it's a completely different
1: competition. So it does not count uh, for or against points. So that's good then. Well, it's bad because if you make it to the third round of the FA Cup, then you can uh, play a big team like Liverpool and you can make more money in one day than you make in the entire season. Mm, but I see. uh but it doesn't matter because that's not what happened. <laughs> so, um, so it goes. <laughs> All right, John. Well, what did we learn today? Uh, I mean, we learned that hexagons are surprisingly strong,
0: and that there is something that Hank doesn't know. We learned that voting is stressful, but early voting it just isn't. And of course, we learned that finger licking good <laughs> is finger licking dangerous. Now I want some fried chicken. Uh, this, uh, has been Dear Hank and John. John, that's the guy who's <laughs> chuckling in the background. I'm Hank. Uh, and thank you for joining us today.
1: Our, uh, theme music is by Gunnarola, Our podcast is edited by the brilliant Nick Jenkins. And as we say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to be awesome.
0: And we also forgot to say you can send us questions at hankandjohn at gmail.com or hashtag Dear Hank and John on Twitter. I'm Hank Green. He's John Green. But, of course, no one is listening now, so no one will send in questions this week. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> this is good. Nothing. Nothing.
1: And that was a good, good, good podcast. <laughs>